The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Amen. The word of God upon which we meditate this morning is the Holy Gospel appointed for today from St. Luke chapter 2. My dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the question I'm about to pose to you, there is no wrong answer, so the pressure is off. Whatever answer you give is the right answer. So tell me, what do you see? Maybe you're thinking, well, that looks like a Halloween pumpkin that's been smashed. You can see where the eyes were. I don't know that everyone would say that that's what it is, but your answer is the right answer. Whatever you see is what it is. How about this one? Maybe this seems almost like a photograph to you, right? It's, ob it's obviously Dr. Seuss's cat in the hat, who's a little bit bummed. He's looking in a mirror, and he's bummed that his bow tie has fallen to the ground. Well, maybe not everybody would see it that way. Whatever answer you give is the right answer. And maybe you know this is part of the Rorschach inkblot tests developed by a psychiatrist working with people with schizophrenia. And he just wanted to get a feel for what was on their mind. And so he told them, whatever answer you give is the right answer. One more picture for you. What do you see? Well, we don't know exactly what Jesus looked like. This is one depiction of him. There are a lot of people who think that this is just like the Rorschach inkblot test. That whatever your answer is, is the right answer. However you view him is the right way to view him. There isn't just one right way. Well, nothing really could be further from the truth. It's only those who know who Jesus is, who know what he has done and what he has done for them, will have life with God forever. This morning, as we consider Simeon and Anna and what they saw, when they saw the 40-day-old baby in Mary's arms, we want to think about how we see Jesus with this thought, that we are blessed to see Jesus. Joseph and Mary were very concerned about doing what the law of the Lord commanded. In the verse right before the section we heard, they had on the eighth day, in obedience to the law of the Lord, had Jesus circumcised and gave him the name Jesus, as the angel had told them to do. Now, as we pick it up in Luke chapter 2, verse 22, they're concerned about the law of the Lord again. On the 40th day, to purify Mary, they were to bring an offering of two turtle doves. And, in obedience to the law of the Lord, on that same 40th day, they were to present their son to the Lord. You may remember that the Lord had instructed his people Israel on the day when he sent the plague of the firstborn on the people in Egypt. He said, you are from henceforth to present to me every firstborn son. Because that firstborn son is to be a special servant to me. Well, how fitting 
that Jesus would be presented to the Lord because he was indeed to be a special servant to the Lord. And that's exactly what Simeon saw when he saw Mary holding that child in her arms. He saw a servant of the Lord, the servant of the Lord. We, we don't know how Simeon knew this, the Holy Spirit had in some special way revealed to him that before he died, he, with his own eyes, was going to see the Christ, the Lord's Messiah, it's the Anointed One. This was uh, just a reference to how in the Old Testament the Lord had special anointing oil placed on the heads of those who served in a special role like a prophet or a priest or a king. And so Simeon sees here is obviously the servant of the Lord who has come to fulfill the Father's will, which was to live in perfect obedience to the law of the Lord for sinners and to suffer the punishment they deserved. So when Simeon sees the baby, he says to Mary and to Joseph, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then to Mary he says, a sword will pierce your own soul too. Simeon knew what was going to happen to the servant of the Lord. It was not going to go swimmingly well. Though he was indeed God in the flesh, people all ought to have accepted him, praised him, worshipped him. Some would reject him. Many would reject him and persecute him to the point of nailing him to a tree. And then he says to Mary, a sword will pierce your own soul too by which he was speaking of the suffering she would endure. While it's true that her suffering would be like a pinprick compared to what Jesus would endure, nailed to a tree, forsaken by his father, experiencing the very pain of hell, she would suffer too. Now, how much did Mary get from those words from Simeon? I, I, I don't know that we can say. Suffice it to say, the Son of God, he knew what was going to happen to him if he took on flesh and entered this world. He was going to have to do the will of the Father, which meant obeying the law and dying in their place. And yet, he took it on. Right? It's one thing to take on a task when you think, ah, this, this could be hard. This might cause some difficulties for me. It's another when you step in saying, I know what this is going to mean. I know the suffering I'm going to experience. And you do it Anyway, Jesus was indeed the special servant of the Lord. That's what Simeon saw, the servant of the Lord. So what do you see when you look at Jesus? The world around us offers things that we ought to see. He was a fine man, a good example, a great teacher. And all of those, I guess, are fine as far as they go, but they are far too short of what Jesus is. He is the Son of God. He is the servant of the Lord, the one who came to suffer for the sins of the world. Why don't people accept that? 
Well, first answer, obviously, all people by nature are born sinful, and they don't understand who God is and what he has done. But, but isn't it really this? If I acknowledge that Jesus is the servant who has to bear my sins, then I have to say, I'm a sinner, thoroughly corrupt, nothing good in me. I can't save myself. And that's not something people like to say. I mean, I'm willing, standing right here now, to tell you that I am thoroughly corrupt. I'm willing to say to you that I have sinned against the Lord. I've broken his law, not just in the ancient past, but in this past week. In many of our services, we all say that same thing. So this is kind of a safe place to say it. As if there's some security in saying, well, I'm a sinner, just like everybody else. That's not a confession the Lord desires to hear from us. When you recognize that you are indeed thoroughly corrupt, that you have nothing to bring to God, then remember the servant of the Lord who came to fulfill his Father's will, who came to obey all the laws, all of the commandments that you have broken. Not to show you how to do it, not to inspire you to greater living, but so that he could give his righteousness to you, so that nothing stands against you before God. He is the servant of the Lord. He accomplished the task his Father sent him, which means there is nothing left on your record. Simeon saw that baby, 40 days old, not only as the servant of the Lord, he also saw him as a servant of sinners, or maybe better, a servant for sinners. And it leads him to break out in a song, the song we know as the Nunc Dimittis. It's from the opening words of the Latin translation of it, where Simeon sings this. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Simeon rejoiced for a few reasons. First this, he says, as you have promised. He's praising the Lord. He's rejoicing in the Lord's faithfulness. The Lord had promised throughout the pages of Scripture and to him individually that the Messiah was going to come, that the Lord's servant was going to come, and now he has come. More than that, he rejoiced because he says, this is not just a baby. This is the Savior, the Redeemer. He says, you have prepared salvation. Isn't that interesting? He uses a past tense. It's a 40-day-old baby. But he sees... No, this is the Savior. And yeah, he's going to be tempted by the devil to turn away from his mission, but he's going to be successful in it. He will accomplish the task of being the Savior of the world. And then he says, yeah, he is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The Gentiles. Like, this is sort of mind-blowing. Yeah, of course Jesus is going to save people from their sins, but it's the Jews he's going to save. 
But he says, no, it's for all people, even the Gentiles, bleh, the sinners. Simeon saw Jesus as the savior of the world. And he said as much. Is it any wonder that we hear this? The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. They knew he was going to save his people from their sins, but he didn't realize, they didn't realize it was going to be for all people. Simeon was blessed by God's grace, by the Holy Spirit, to see Jesus as the Savior of the world. And you are blessed to see Jesus that way. And maybe that seems kind of ho-hum. Like, I know that. I've heard that a few times already, that Jesus is the Savior of the world. Good. But I'd ask you to keep this in mind, because there may come a time in life when you are just hit in such a way that you'll begin to wonder if God loves you. If God has forgiven you, if he's taken away all of your sins, maybe it's some difficulty in life, and you'll draw the conclusion, finally God has grown tired of me. You know, I've committed that sin too many times. I promised I wouldn't. I've done it again, and, and he's just had it. Jesus is the Savior of the world, which means that he's your Savior. You know, the devil wants to put the blindfold on so you don't see Jesus that way. And he, and he wants to lead you to think you are special, so special, so special. You're the person for whom Jesus wouldn't die, couldn't die, didn't die. Well, it's a lie. He's the Savior of the world, and he's your Savior. What you know has an impact on what you do. For example, if you know that the tires on your car have lost some of their tread and the snow is coming down hard, you don't say, you know what, I think I'm going to head up that big hill and see how that goes. No, you stay home. What you know has an impact on what you do. If you have heart issues and you're prone to stroke or heart attack, well, you do something, right? You take the medication the doctor prescribes. What you know has an impact on what you do. Simeon and Anna knew the Lord, and that had an impact on what they did. Remember how Simeon was described? Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. He was righteous through faith, and he was devout, which is really to say this, the Lord was at the center of his life. Everything else tied for last compared to his relationship with the Lord. So he didn't just, you know, do church and call it good. This was his whole life. Wasn't that true of Anna as well? She was 84 years old, or, or it could be translated this way, that she was a widow for 84 years. She'd been married for seven, maybe widowed for 84. She was over 100, perhaps. So much so that Luke could feel comfortable saying she was literally advanced in many days, which I think is a euphemism for older than dirt. 
And now think about what this woman, this old woman, is doing. She's described in verse 37 this way. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. This was her whole life. She fasted not, not to do something for God, but to teach herself how dependent she was on the Lord. She went to him in prayer, thanking him for what he had done and asking for his mercy on her life and the life of others. They are a wonderful example for you and me who also see Jesus, not as something out there on the periphery, but as the center of our lives. We don't just think about him eh, when we come to church. It's always there. How do you keep on doing that? Well, Martin Luther said, how about this? You start every day remembering your baptism, making the sign of the cross on the head and the heart and speaking the words of invocation in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and then thinking about what happened on the day you were baptized. There you were buried with Christ, all of your sin buried, left there in the tomb, and then you arose from that to a new life to be lived to God's glory and for the benefit of others. And then, spend some time in God's Word, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, read meditations, read a section of Scripture, and, and just let God's Word have control of your heart and your mind. You know, the world around you is always trying to tell you what to think about God. How about letting God tell you what to think about God as you think about and reflect on His Word? And then think about what happened as a result of Simeon and Anna thinking about and reflecting on what God had done for them. What does Simeon do? He thanks God and he praises God. Maybe think of thanking God as sort of this vertical dimension. So he thanks God for keeping his promise and for giving him peace. And then horizontally, he praises God. He tells not just Mary and Joseph, but others who this child is and what he's done. Same thing is true with Anna. We hear in verse 38, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She thanked God and she spoke about it to others. And isn't this exactly what the Lord does in us who see Jesus as the center of our lives. He enables us, he empowers us, he equips us to speak about him to others. Maybe we don't speak it as eloquently as we perhaps would like. That happens to pastors too, by the way. But we're able to share him with others, thinking that there's nothing more important we can do for anyone we meet than to introduce them to Jesus, who is the servant of the Lord, the Savior of the world. The one who has given himself into death for all. So what do you see in Jesus? You see far more than what the world does around us. He's more than a good guy, a great example, a fantastic teacher. You see him for who he is. You see him for who he is, the servant of the Lord, who willingly did what his father asked in order to rescue sinners. You see him 
as the Savior of the world, your Savior, every last one of your sins forgiven. And you see him as the center of your life, not an afterthought, not on the periphery, but the very heart of your life. Do you realize just how blessed you are to see Jesus the way he is to be seen, amazingly blessed. Amen.